Welcome to The Local Authority, the podcast by LGC and FutureGov. Join us each month as we bring together leading figures from within and around local government to discuss the sector's future. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button to have the latest episode delivered to your device each month and share this podcast with your colleagues. You can do so by going to lgcplus.com forward slash podcast. Welcome to the Local Authority. This is a podcast from Local Government Chronicle and FutureGov, soon becoming TPX Impact. I'm Nick Golding, the LGC editor. Each month we're bringing together some of the biggest names in and around local government to discuss some of the biggest issues facing local government. The theme of the Local Authority is one of change, how councils can change their area and themselves for the better. And today we're discussing how Michael Gove can drive change. Our sector has a new Secretary of State at the renamed Department for Leveling Up Housing and Communities, and he's a genuine big beast. Mr Gove has a track record of being a disruptor. He is focused and ambitious. He led a campaign to turn around council-run schools into academies while Education Secretary, and he's also Reformist Justice Secretary. So what will his plans be for local government? And how will he make his new ministry punch above its weight? We do have a great panel today to discuss this. Our panel is David Simmons, and he's a Conservative MP for Ryslip, Northwood and Pinner, and a former Deputy Chair of the Local Government Association. We have Jessica Studdett, the Deputy Chief Executive at the new local think tank. And we have Claire Hazelgrove, the Community and Political Engagement Director at what's becoming TPX Impact. David, can we turn to you to start off with, please? You must know Michael Gove fairly well. How bold do you think he's likely to be in his dealings with local government? I'm hoping that Michael is going to be extremely bold, and I'm hoping that he'll have learnt from the experience of working in the Department for Education with councils and recognise that the way forward is to build on the strengths of the sector, to recognise that we don't need a whole node of, of new structures, that we don't need to start taking things out of local government and trying to reinvent the wheel. What we need to do is to use the leadership, the efficiency of the sector to drive in particular the agenda that's around levelling up. I think there's a welcome sign in he made the decision to uh, to shelve the proposed reforms of the planning system, recognise that the importance of both giving local communities a say and acknowledging the fact that there are more than a million planning consents in the country already um, that haven't yet commenced. So if we're, we're recognising that it is important to build more homes, it's clear that local authorities are part of the solution and have been for a long time as opposed to part of the problem. Uh, key things that, that I'd like to see is a shift perhaps towards a more uh, European style of local government, where we recognise the autonomy, the independence of local authorities as leaders of their particular place. And in my view, that will make the whole of the levelling up agenda much more sustainable by ensuring that those local authorities have the long term ability to lead their place, to shape their place rather than, as we have seen in the past, perhaps a series of short-term centrally driven initiatives. It's, it's, it's interesting some of the things you say there, because you, you brought in the fact that Mr Gove was the Education Secretary, and I think at the same time you were the, the chair of the LGA Children and Young People's Boards, and it, it didn't always come across the, as Michael Gove being the biggest fan of, of councils. Um, so, I mean, are you optimistic that he does respect councils, and is that aspiration for that European style 
autonomous local government. Is, is that something that's, which is achievable with him as Secretary of State? Michael Gove started this journey out as very much a journalist. And I think it's pretty clear local authorities are not held in enormous esteem um, by the media on the whole. I'm sure this podcast being <laughs> a, an exception to that. But the evidence is, is very clear that even after, you know, 10 years on really from the Academies Act, it is still local authority maintained schools that are more likely to be good or outstanding than academy schools. Even, you know, acknowledging the fact that to become an academy in the early days, you had to be already good or outstanding even to be allowed to, to convert. So despite all the cards being very much stacked in favour of academization, local authorities are still the highest performing part of the, the education sector today. And do you think Michael Gove now recognises that fact because it, it came across as there was something of a war against councils from him when he was education secretary? I think there's a recognition in government that David Cameron, when he was prime minister, was right in highlighting that councils are the most efficient part of the public sector. And also a recognition through looking at the evidence, what happens in education, what happens in in children's services, in adult social care, what happens in, in the planning system, what happens in housing, Green Homes Grant being a good example, that local authorities have consistently delivered more bang for the buck with any of those uh, batches of central government funding than any other uh, part of the system. So it, it seems pretty clear. The evidence is if you want to make a difference, if levelling up is something that you really take seriously, then local authority leadership is absolutely a critical part of that picture. But we've seen things like the new departmental name, which removes local government in entirety. Is there, is there a sense that councils are parts of of his, of his thinking and you know our, our council's really such a major ministerial priority behind leveling up housing and, and cladding removal one of the issues that has been very stark for me as a, a new member of parliament having made the the step after 20 nearly 24 years now in local government is that whitehall has a very you know, incoherent approach frankly to, to local authorities there are five or six central government departments which have a major stake in the way that local authorities operate principally the ministry that, that deals with local government, but also bringing in everything from the DWP, Department of Health and Social Care, Department for Education. And, and they do not have at the moment a joined up approach in the way that they engage with local authorities. But there is a, a consistent pattern of evidence. And the Green Homes Grant was, was a really good example. You know, we're talking very much about investment in green homes being a key part of economic regeneration, of levelling up, of aspiring to, to reach our COP26 ambitions. And the way that that money was spent on local authority housing stock has delivered enormously successfully, whereas the private sector system, frankly, has, has been a bit of a, a mess. So I think recognising that local authorities are part of the solution, not a barrier to progress, is, is for me an absolutely key thing, both as a member of parliament, but also in trying to influence the thinking of government. And I've been very struck in my engagement recently with the Department for Education around things like youth issues, that the DfE are talking about the fact that local authorities are a critical part of the approach to, to changing that sector, as opposed to being seen as somebody that stands in the way. Now, Michael Gove was previously at the Cabinet Office. He understands the levers of governments that you've been talking about more than anyone. Do you, do you think he can help drive that, 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 that better approach across Whitehall to, to councils? There's a general issue across government at the moment, as you know, the Prime Minister has often said, that it feels like you pull the levers of power and find they're not attached to anything. Uh, one of the things that we've all had to learn about in local government is how you make sure that an administration is fulfilling 
um, the ambitions which the public have, have set by electing a particular party or group of politicians to provide that, that leadership. So we need to make sure, uh, levelling up is a really good example of this, that the way in which planning, in which uh, the kind of role of the local authority as a leader of its place, the way it engages with potential investors and businesses, that that is able to happen in a swift, autonomous and efficient way. And that, that simply isn't going to happen if we have a series of short term funding pots from central government that are continually changing. It has to be based upon autonomous local leadership. And it's very clear if we look at the German system, for example, designed by the British government to provide the optimum possible model for administering a country, that we see local authorities enormously involved in local financial institutions, in businesses, they're investors, they are landholders, they are regulators of their local system. And that has sustained a devolved and very successful economic and social model for a long period of time, which the West of the world sees as, as something to aspire to. And we need to import some of that thinking into the way that we engage with local authorities and that we see them um, in, in the UK. So we've got a a white paper coming out soon. Is your expectation that we're on the precipice of a new age of devolution? And if Michael Gove is a devolver, you know, is, is it going to be two principal authorities? So I, I think we are, uh, need, certainly we need to be on the precipice of a new age of genuine devolution. And it is, it's always going to be a tension in the system because, for example, a lot of the new members of parliament uh, who were elected in 2019 as Conservatives who've been councillors in the past have often spent their political careers in local government as part of a minority group opposing administrations that they disagree with. So they may not have a particularly strong view that devolving to the local authority in which they formerly served is the way they want to see government proceed. And, and that is always an issue in the, the tension between Westminster and devolution. But I think there is a very clear recognition that um, the landscape with the insistence, for example, that every region had to have a mayor who was to gain those powers has become quite confused, that there are examples of that. I think the, the West Midlands is one where it's seen and perceived as being a success in driving forward the economic agenda and the regeneration of that place. So we need to make sure that, that we aren't embarking on devolution in the sense of let's unitize the whole country or let's you know, put everyone into districts. It isn't about reorganising local government structures. It's about recognising that these strengths exist in depth everywhere, but in different forms. And if we are going to see change that people can feel in their areas in time for the next general election, we need to get on with that now rather than start trying to, to reinvent those structures from scratch. Is, is, is there a danger that when we've heard so much about sleaze, there's a sense that the government's become slightly derailed lately. Does that pose a barrier to it actually driving really that fundamental change that we've been talking about? Well, governments, as I've seen in the past, you know, John Major's government in the 1990s, Gordon Brown's government, you know, potentially if there is likely to be a change of government at a general election, they do begin to lose their authority. But the bottom line is, it is a Conservative government with an 80-seat majority in Parliament. Um, that's the most powerful political position that's been seen really since Tony Blair's election in the, the 1997 general election. So the, the government is in a position to make sure that its agenda is driven forward. And we need, I think, to see the sector recognise that, that, you know, the days of you know 2016 following the EU referendum, indeed, most of the last 10 years, when a couple of backbenchers who disagreed with a position would fundamentally change the direction of government. Those days are well and truly over. 
that we need to be making a really clear case for why something is right in policy terms. And I think that's where devolution is important. It isn't something that's going to be achieved by persuading one or two people to, to rebel against a government. It's something that's going to be achieved by, by recognising we need to build on the efficiency of the sector and demonstrate that it is that sectoral leadership that's absolutely fundamental to levelling up. Um, Jessica, can I bring you in as Jessica Studdard, um, Deputy Chief Executive at New Local. Now, at New Local, your big thing is community power. What, what's your community power pitch to Michael Gove? Well, government obviously operates at quite an abstract level from communities. Um, so from his perspective, working with local government is is key to how he works with communities, how he understands communities um, and, and brings the power that communities have within themselves um, to solve a lot of the challenges that the, the country is facing, not, not least in the levelling up agenda. It feels like levelling up is is ultimately and intrinsically a very community-focused ambition and objective. It's very specifically trying to speak to communities that have been left behind by national centralised policy decision-making across political parties and, 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 and over the decades from, from different governments of different colours. So I think that if the government is serious about levelling up, it needs to talk to communities, it needs to have tangible um, shifts and realities, um, changes that communities can kind of see and touch and feel and that make a difference to their lives. So I think, I mean, his appointment in his role at the department is interesting because he is a, a visionary, probably the most visionary thinker of the, of the cabinet. His track record, obviously, in education, he wants to get things done. He's taken the same approach when he's been at other um, big departments like environment and justice. So I think that his appointment shows that the government is serious about levelling up in terms of its its political objectives. And I think the challenge will be, is it going to trickle down from being that kind of surface level rhetorical perception to actually something that's meaningful to communities? So he's well placed, but I think the pitch is if you want levelling up to, to work, you obviously have to have to have something uh, that's real for communities. And as a byproduct of that, you can't do that without local government. You have to work through local government, not around it. So, so the, the perception has sometimes been of levelling up in the past. It was predominant. I mean, we interviewed Jake, Jake Berry, who told us that it, it was often regarded by ministers as more of a transport project than anything else. That, that might be somewhat undermined by the, 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 the watering down of the HS2 plans. But do, do you think there is that will there to sort of rethink levelling up along the lines of community empowerment? I think, I mean, obviously you can you can look at what's been said so far. We're obviously in early days, so so lots, lots of sort of smoke signals that are coming out of the department are, 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 are what we've got to work with. Um, but but Neil O'Brien, uh, one of the more junior ministers in the department, has, has had been clear about the kind of four principles of levelling up. Um, one being local leadership, which is interesting. The words empowering local government has ha, have passed the lips of Michael Gove, which is a good thing. You don't always get um, ministers at Whitehall speaking fondly of local government. Um, but there is a clear sense that there's also a strong sense that public services and uh, living standards are important, but also pride of place, which for me is one of the one of the interesting aspects of uh, of this pride of place and um, people's sense of dignity in their place is clearly being being seen as one of these important aspects of of levelling up, and so to that end, um, that makes things that makes things quite interesting beyond just 
infrastructure, although clearly infrastructure is important, but there's a sense with these things that, I mean, it's very easy for government to uh, highlight a capital investment project or some, some kind of hard infrastructure that you can point to a thing. It's much harder to invest in people and to invest in people's sense and perception um, and the culture of a place. These things are much less tangible, so it's much harder to implement them from government and from using the kind of traditional tools of, of, of statecraft from Whitehall. So if it, if it is moving beyond infrastructure and projects that can be signed off at a desk in Whitehall and something into more, that, that's more meaningful for people and, and speaks to kind of pride of community in place that's inherently pluralistic, inherently different in different areas, that does lead you to a sense of a different way of doing government. Is that a different way possible? I, I, I slightly query it because there's been a perception that what matters is what is glitzy, the, the big, the showpiece things, the, the, the skyscrapers and the skyline, the, 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 you know, HS2 or something like that. Does that community empowerment that you're talking about, does that, does that translate into votes in national politics? I think that's one of the tensions at the heart of the levelling up agenda, actually, is 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 levelling up just a kind of electoral political strategy focused on uh, winning the next election or in, in the particular seats that the Conservative Party's made inroads into or, or slightly shifting their kind of electoral coalition? Or is it something that's much more deeper um, and, and really focused on rebalancing the regional disparities that 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 blight our country, but that have built up over decades. I mean, I, I bring back a point that David was making about how we, how um, government and governance is done um, in other countries that have much less of a uh, centralised tradition of government. The key question is, is, is levelling up a policy? Is it an isolated initiative? In which case, it's going to be lots of different announcements, centrally driven, uh, very centrally owned, or is it something deeper and more of a governance shift? Are we are we really trying to kind of rebalance how decisions are done in this country and how economic reality um, is, is experienced and lived and sought in this country? And if it is the latter, then that does lead you towards um, seeing seeing devolution, uh, decentralising decision making, doing government in a different way as as one of the answers. And the risk is, and as we've seen with um, the high speed two uh, shifts, actually that. If you're really wanting to do stuff within an electoral cycle because your objective is winning the next election, that leads you to shorter term decisions and it leads you away from long term investment that the trade off, the payoffs might not come for, for decades. And I think that's one of the tensions at the heart of levelling up. And one of, one of the challenges when we're thinking about how can Gove drive impact, is that impact short term, visible, high profile, or is that impact more long term, enduring, but potentially more powerful? I was keen to ask you a bit more about that because the, the the shortness of the electoral cycle seems to inherently breed this 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 short termism. So, what things would you advise beyond pure community empowerment? But what, what things would you advise Michael Gove to to to, to capitalise on and really make progress on to actually drive change by the end of this term of parliament? So I think if we if we're looking at local government especially, because um, I think that's kind of an interesting an interesting obviously angle on on his roles at the department, and not least for our purposes. Um, but I think that if you're looking at local government in particular, there is a risk that 
there's an approach to devolution, which is actually the same as has been um, going on in recent years, which is structures first, create some new mayors, um, create some new devo deals, create some good press, some injections of investment into local areas, and you get some good news stories. You will have the semblance of action and activity, but will you have deeper impact? One of the positive things, I think, about what Gove seems to be doing so far in his role as a department is he is looking at what the department does and everything is being put through a prism of how does this help or hinder levelling up. One thing that has traditionally been seen as very separate from our economic productivity and our regional um, disparities is the issue of local government finance. Local government finance is obviously crucial for the sector, but beyond that kind of sexual dynamic, it's not really broken through as a policy area or an issue that that can have bigger impacts in this country. And I think that if, if as it seems to be, Gove is looking at how local areas are funded and how local government finance works to that end to create incentives to invest in virtuous cycles of um, growth and how sometimes the local government finance system is obviously a barrier to that, that would be a real positive. Um, I think that there is a sense that in the next couple of years are going to be crucial for uh, local authority finances, which, which has been the case for a long time now. But some some quick wins would be thinking about how you are resourcing local areas um, and how they are then able to make decisions to invest in ways that are tangible and meaningful for people. Um, and so there is a risk that there's a there's more of a focus on kind of keeping initiatives close and tight in central government and taking the credit for them in the short term. But actually, I think shifting towards creating a much more kind of dynamic, resilient, local area, uh, locally led um, governance system, but one which puts... Um, means that you do lose a bit of control at Whitehall, um, but potentially your focus is on creating a system that incentivizes a different relationship between local authorities and communities. I think there's a risk that you're just going to have this kind of dynamic between the centre and local authorities, and actually communities themselves are going to be a bit cut out of the picture. So I think that, I, I mean, I would I would say that if we're talking about devolution, if we're talking about the next white paper... It can't just be trade-offs between different layers of government. It has to be meaningful to people. Can I ask you about David's points in relation to the difficulties of actually pulling levers in Whitehall and actually making change happen? How can change happen cohesively across Whitehall in a way which really impacts positively on local areas and on local government? So I think that's one of the key challenges. And one of the key challenges with Whitehall is it's massive. The departments are very separate. And one of the positives about uh, Gove's new role is that he does have this kind of cross-Whitehall role to try and hopefully advocate for local government and advocate for places within Whitehall, which is something we don't really see from Secretaries of State, um, his predecessors, but also potentially see the government at Whitehall as a system that needs to operate cohesively and consistently together. And crucially, the interface with local authorities is really important. So I think that there's a really there's a real need for him to see his role as one, an advocate of local government at Whitehall, two, creating consistency in terms of how different government departments interface with local areas, and understanding that devolution isn't or change in uh, powers to local areas shouldn't always be about 
changes locally, but there could be some shifts in how central government operates. To date, he seems to be um, using quite traditional levers of statecraft. He's done the departmental rebrand. He set up a task force. There's a funding stream. Uh, there's potentially a cabinet committee on levelling up. These are all quite traditional ways of doing business from Whitehall and will have degrees of impact for the for the life of them. I would love to see a Secretary of State in his position understand that there are lots of incentives um, and disincentives for particular behaviours that Whitehall creates in local areas. So things like how is local government funded? How is devolution agreed? Are, are, are we doing a kind of deal-based model that pits different areas against each other? We're we doing kind of backroom, you get this, a different area gets that. Or are we doing a much more kind of comprehensive shift in how we do government that creates um, more resilience locally, creates predictability, creates kind of cohesiveness and stops local government kind of having to look up the food chain to Whitehall all the time, um, having to see its accountability to different government departments that might work against each other or having to wait from one year to the next to know how much money they've got to invest in, in their communities. Could we shift much more to understanding that Whitehall's behaviour creates the conditions for how communities and local government work together. And actually, to an extent, Whitehall's role is to kind of incentivise those relationships between people themselves in their neighbourhoods, public sector professionals, and to an extent, kind of uh, people in central government letting go and and enabling that to to take off. And that's not quite what we always see. We we see a lot of activity at at, uh, central government but it's not necessarily going to manifest itself as change in in local areas. Great. Um, Can I bring you you in, please, Claire? It's Claire Hazelgrove. You're the um, Community and Political Engagement Director at TPX Impacts. What what, what do you think should be at the top of Michael Gove's to-do list? (laughs) So it's a very long list coming into this important role, but I'd completely agree with the vast majority, really, of what David and Jess have talked about already in terms of a lot of these priorities. But I do think that community power truly putting power into people's hands does need to be very high up there. I thought it might be useful to talk very briefly about why and what that might look like as well. So I think in part because you know, we see it around us the whole time, there are lots of pretty tough decisions to be taken at a national level and at a local level too. So taking the big issues of today, so how to tackle the climate change emergency locally, what the post-COVID recovery should look like locally, will be and should be different in different places. And so it only feels right that decisions are able to be taken at that local level. And crucially, because these impact on people so directly, and we are in this era of tough choices and trade-offs, it feels like it is right to have these conversations, to be making decisions with people that will affect and shape their lives and what they do, for example, as I say, in response to the climate emergency. So why does this matter and what are the benefits of it? Um, And hopefully this might convince further action on this as well. And you get to better decisions if you really involve local people and put power in their hands because they know their area best. They have got a wide range of lived experience and, and bringing that together will get you that richer decision. It will also help actually make it a more cost effective approach because you're not you're making assumptions at a higher level up and getting it a bit wrong and having to go back and sort of redo work that was already tried uh, earlier on. Um, it also helps, and I think this is really important, support the healing of social fabric. We've had a very frayed few years. And so actually, I think putting power in people's hands is 
truly delivering on this taking back control agenda, which obviously Michael Gove has been a big advocate of during the referendum and since. And I think that's tangibly what this can look like. Um, so there is that. And also it supports then shared delivery. So if you have decided on a course of action locally together, all parts of the community, the local government, uh, businesses, residents, other organisations, then you're far more likely to get into a place of shared delivery of that change as well. So all coming together in that, that's also more likely to mean that the change will stick for the long term as well. So then it gives you an awful lot to build on. Now, what could this look like? There are some great examples around the country, but two sort of popular or increasingly popular approaches are around participatory budgeting. So actually giving people a say around where the money is spent. And some good examples in, in Newham, I think not too long ago, they did a good project, which was around reinvigorating their local market and asked people to go online and just literally pinpoint where it is and which of these options did they want for this regeneration of this market. And so they could see the trade-offs and the choices and be a part of that decision-making process. That's just one example. Um, North Ayrshire in Scotland are brilliant at this. So they really delivered on allocating 1% of the overarching council budget to being decided in this way, so by local people, which is really fascinating to see as well. And the other approach of increasing popularity are citizens' assemblies. So, for example, earlier this year, we co-designed and then facilitated Blackpool's Climate Assembly, which created a representative mini Blackpool so people could come together and discuss and provide their recommendations on what the council, local organisations and residents should do to tackle the climate emergency. So those are just some tangible examples of what this can look like in practice and practically how it can benefit uh, people and places for the long term. Is there sufficient evidence that enough of local populations across the country actually want to engage in that sort of way? Mm. So we've not heard of any examples where, for example, a, a councillor said, great, we're going to do a, a climate emergency sort of assembly and not enough people have put their hands up to do it. I think so that's that's not an issue. I think also you can see this in lots of ways in different communities. So as we saw in every town, village, city and island during the pandemic, you know, community power was there. That is absolutely undeniable. It was a vital part of the response and actually really helped to get to people into parts of the communities that traditional institutions may have struggled to alone because of that great involvement and legitimacy that sort of community groups have. There's an awful lot of local campaigning, an awful lot of great initiatives on the ground at that hyper-local level, but often they don't have the infrastructure, the resources, and so on to be able to do that at scale locally. So I don't think that there is a, a lack of you know, people wanting to step forward and help make change happen and decide what happens in their place, but right now it's not clear how they can do that. If uh, taking back control, in some senses, it's also about the government letting go. Um, if the government lets go, does all this stuff start up almost by itself? Does it need prodding? What, and is there a strong role for the, the principal authority in, in doing that? I think there still is, absolutely. It has to be commissioned from and driven by somewhere. There needs to be some sort of governance and structure and process around all of this to make sure that you know, it can be very clear to people what they're participating in, how that will then be fed through into informal decision-making processes within councils and other bodies as well. So I think that's to say as well, there's, I think there is sometimes a sense from some politicians around two things. One, you know, would this be incredibly costly to do? But as I mentioned earlier, it can actually help reduce costs over time by getting the results sort of right for the place and with people who live there. 
um, and also a sense of a fear of a lack of or a loss of control. Um, but given that this is or can be seen as a very legitimate part of the taking back control agenda, I think that's one piece there. But also you set the framework for these conversations and these discussions and these deliberations uh, in a meaningful way and invite people to be a part of them. So I don't think it's that it would sort of all start up in a way that was cohesive if it just, you know, was sort of if sort of the floodgates are opened as such. I think there's a really important role for local government in this. You know, they are the facilitators. They are that layer of government that is closest to the people. So I think there is yeah, still absolutely yeah, an important role for them there. Um, we referred earlier to Michael Gove's former role at the, the Cabinet Office and understanding how Whitehall all links up and operates cohesively. You can, there's question marks about how the wider public sector, including local government, operates cohesively. Do you have any thoughts on how Michael Gove could make progress on bringing about that cohesion across all different types of government? Mm, great question. I think Jess touched on this quite well in terms of being an advocate and ambassador for local government and also trying to look across. You know, as you say, he does have that wide lens across government. So I think keeping that bird's eye view, even though he get even though he's getting into this deeper, more detailed role, is really important. So keeping that in mind and keeping some of that broader long termism at the front uh, of his agenda as well. Um, and actually, I, think I completely agreed with what. David was saying earlier about what needs to be done when it comes to levelling up within this parliament is signals of progress, that things are happening. It's not about having completed everything. It's not about having got everything done, um, but being able to show people that change is happening, that this is a programme that is being invested in for the long term and critically is involving people as a part of that process. I think that would feel, and to your earlier question about votes, I think that would feel like a very positive agenda to be able to go to the public on. Um, but the challenge there is if that's not the case, and I think there are some issues around that emerging, certainly this week, as you alluded to, with the rail plans in the north, then there's a real risk for the government. So this is a really high stakes agenda. So I think it's so very good in the sense of Michael Gove being, you know, as you said, a big beast. He's got a lot of experience, both within you know, centralising approaches, but also through you know, what he did with the schools network, pushing things out locally. And so I think if he brings that spirit of you know, wanting communities to be able to have their say in ways that things are done locally, as he did with schools, if he brings that to levelling up, then you could see a lot more progress. Uh, and I think there would be political rewards if that were the case. You, you mentioned before about taking back control and you know, community empowerment is very much about taking back control. The, taking back control is a slogan, but ha is there enough evidence that enough people across governments are prepared to let go and we are on this sort of precipice of radical change? I think that's absolutely one of the biggest challenges uh, in terms of what that means. I think that's something that has been a consistent struggle to some extent with slogans like taking back control and levelling up. Like, what do they practically mean? How can you galvanise enough people around them who share the same view in terms of what they do mean? Um, no, this is the beginning of an agenda, I think. But what is absolutely fascinating is the frequency now and the highest levels at which these conversations are happening. You know, a few years ago, we would not be sat here talking about citizens' assemblies and should you know, central government be thinking about pushing decision-making out into communities. So we've come an awful long way. There is a really long way to go, but there are fantastic examples to look at as well. So again, in Scotland, we're working with the Scottish government right now to help facilitate 
them in thinking through, well, how do you actually institutionalize using citizens assemblies to be able, as part of how they make big decisions on key issues? And I think that's absolutely brilliant. So there are great examples, great best practice emerging all around the world. And I think if we want to be at the front foot, if we want to be at the vanguard of this true leveling up agenda and really see regeneration happen in places, then I think seizing that opportunity, getting on the front foot, it would be a great thing for the government to do. I'm keen to broaden out our conversation a little bit and um, have a bit more of an actual conversation now. But um, David, can I can I ask you um, on this community empowerment? I mean, do, do you think that this is an idea whose time has come? And do, do you sense that ministers are really genuinely keen on it? I think the, the history of community empowerment is is not great. And um, I would say certainly the, the experience I've seen in local government is it tends to involve a lot of arguing about not a lot. And it's been one of the big challenges, I think, that, that we face as a sector that, you know, there's always a debate, for example, about whether we should have um, imposed restructuring of local government, which is largely based around the districts say it would be better if they run it all. The counties say it would be better if they run it all. The parishes say it would be better if they run it all. Um, you can argue that it would be much better if you you devolved it all to a citizens assembly or a deliberative democracy or whatever. But I think the big frustration that it reflects on the behalf of the citizen is that they're not in control of the decisions around them. And often the existing structures of local government are not in control of that either. So certainly if we think about things like Local Agenda 21, those of us who've been around a while will remember that. You know, that was kind of long before COP was really thought of. It was the big thing about how we were going to approach kind of climate change and environmental issues locally. And typically what happened is lots of people turned up and said, well, what we want is, you know, divestment from fossil fuels and we want, you know, development to be banned. And the council said, well, we don't have any control over any of those things. <laughs> so, and then people became frustrated and said, well, if, if our elected politicians can't make those decisions, what is the point of engaging in this process at all? So I think we need to, to really move to a situation where before we even kind of get into that idea, we need to be clear that we have... Uh, settled on the fact that we will respect the existing local leadership that is there, that we will see genuine devolution so people actually have control through their local politicians. And it's you know worth remembering, in the UK, we already have less elected politicians per head of our population than almost any other democracy in the world. So we already have less local democratic control before we start debating things like unitarization of local government. So I think that that for me is the absolutely key point. You know, you need to be able to be clear as a citizen it is worth my engaging in this process because my time can result in genuine change. And I think most of the structures that we have at the moment simply are, are not in a position to deliver that. So just to clarify, are you saying that community power as a concept should wait until there's actually devolution first to, to principal authorities? I, I think we, we need to go. We need to go on that journey because, you know, community power sounds great. But I'd say certainly from my experience in, in local government, that it, it really delivers, it consumes a huge amount of resource and attention. I think, you know, the example, I think what, what was about was, I think it was some Ayrshire, you know, having 1% of the budget determined. I think most constituents would say they want 100% of the budget determined. You know, 1% is, is tiny, but for a local authority, if you're a principal authority, you're looking at 70% of your budget already is on adult and, and children's social care, all of which are statutory duties, which you have very little discretion about. And actually, 
you know, I think we need to, to begin to address some of those so people can see the benefits which local leadership can bring before we start tinkering around with saying, well, actually, no, we need to have a completely different model. I think the risk is that we spend you know, another decade where someone sat in Whitehall says, well, look, what's clear is the sector can't agree whether it thinks unitarisation on a county model at one end or elected mayors is, is the way forward or total devolution to parishes or below that to participatory budgeting. Well, given you lot can't agree, what is clear is we can't ask you to do it. We need to find somebody different. Jess, do you want to respond to that? Yeah, I mean, look, I think I think the challenge is that community power could be seen as an add-on uh, and a thing that sort of happens over here rather than seen to its full potential as an agenda, which is a kind of fundamental way of doing government, doing delivering public services that is capable of meeting the demand challenges of the 21st century and people's expectation of their own um, efficacy, of their own input. And I I think that one of the challenges would be that national government sees that this is a kind of nice-to-have community engagement thing that happens on the side. We've seen through the pandemic, we've seen things like mutual aid phenomenon that unleashed in a matter of days in response to the crisis that was happening in neighbourhoods. We've seen the power of communities and we've seen the role of local government shifting to kind of enable that, to work with that energy in different ways. And I think that it's a it's a lesson that we can really take from the experience of the pandemic um, and the pandemic response. And the core question then for national government is how do you enable that to happen in different areas? So there may be some areas that want to do a citizens assembly. There may be other areas that are thinking about participatory budgeting or using using kind of chunks of, of, of funding in different ways. There may be particular service areas, including some of the, the more hard, hard service areas like social care that are working with the people who receive social care um, services to do things in a different way that gives them more dignity, gives them more power over their own of, over their own future. I think the challenge for national government is it doesn't recognise this. And one of the things that Gove, um, as a so-called big beast, beefing up this this the Department of um, Leveling Up Housing and Communities, I'm not sure of the acronym, but raising its status at Whitehall, crucially vis-a-vis the Treasury. The Treasury has plays a really good function, understands cost very well, has a line of sight over every single individual departmental um, budget. But as a result, often fails to recognise value and often fails to recognise that cuts, for example, in one department that impact on local government, for example, social care, have enormous cost implications for other departments, for example, health, in terms of impacts on NHS budgets. And if if Gove could elevate uh, his own kind of departmental remit and role and interface with local government to start advocating for value over cost, we could see a very different kind of shift at the at the centre in Whitehall to understand that actually how is money being spent? Is it being spent with people who who receive services so that those services can have more impact in people's lives? And I think one of the things at the core of this is that we've got a 20th century model of public services that's grappling with these huge demand challenges and solving them in in the in the ways that traditionally uh, were done, where you do two people uh, rather than working with people. Um, really could unlock a very different way of doing government. Claire, Claire can I just ask you, I mean, you've involved, been involved in participatory budgeting, those, those sorts of things in the past. I mean, do you get the sense of what David spoke about, where people 
wanted to engage, but then the, the, when they find out there isn't, there almost isn't that much power there that they can actually use at the end of the day. Is, is, is that a real, real danger? Not if you do these processes well. And I think it's so important to say, because absolutely, if you sort of march people up a hill and say you can have all this choice and all these decisions and all this power and don't deliver on that, then that's a problem. However, what these processes do when done well is focus first on education. So, for example, within a citizens' assembly, you would typically spend the first few sessions actually focusing on the topic to ensure that people have a shared foundational level of knowledge about what it is they're then going to deliberate and provide recommendations on so they feel confident enough as well, as well as informed enough to do so. But a part of that is also being very clear about powers. So who can do what? What can a council do when it comes to the climate emergency versus what it can't do? And it's why I think some of these really good processes don't just focus on the council within this. So, for example, that example I gave in Blackpool, the question that residents looked at was what can the local council, local organisations and residents do to help tackle the climate emergency? So it wasn't just a focus on levers of power that might not be there. And so actually, when facilitated well, it can always be, you know, it can always be shared and reshared that actually that over there isn't something that local government can do, but actually it's something that central government could do. And so what is local government's role actually is an interesting question in advocating upwards or inwards or however you want to look at it um, to central government to encourage them to act and say, actually, we've got this backing from our public. This is what we're hearing. And we want, you know, this, this is a way that we can be sharing their voices more as well. So actually, I don't think that this agenda can wait. I think it's already happening. It's already lifting off to some extent. But I do think what's important is we don't sort of worry too much about the restructuring or which tier of local government it may be, because at the end of the day, this agenda is about pushing out beyond local government. And there was a good paper from onward, the centre-right think tank over well the last week, which looked at double devolution, increasing the number and the role of town and parish councils. Lots to like in there. Um, But again, I think that went halfway there when truly the question is, well, regardless of whether it's a unitary authority or or a parish council, um, who and how are you getting decision making powers out to people seems to be the part that was still missing in that conversation when critically what I think authorities need is consistent budgets, so they know what they can spend and plan for the long term, consistent and clear powers so they can do more of this as well. And to help them deliver on the community power agenda, clear standards and expectations and support around how to do it well. Um, David, I was keen to ask you a bit about um, how local government should engage with Michael Gove. What, 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 what things, how, how does it need to engage with him in order to get successful outcomes? What, what, what's going to win so I think the focus on outcomes is the most important one at the moment. You know, it does feel for understandable reasons that you know the sector is often arguing with itself. Um, and a lot of that stems from the fact, for example, that a lot of the additional funding that's found its way into local government is through the route of the new homes bonus. So the areas that have seen the biggest financial pressure, which are around social care, which are principally top tier authorities, are not seeing the benefit. So, you know, understandably, if you're a county leader, you know, you're struggling desperately to balance the books around social care whilst your districts are investing in shopping centres. You know, people are are therefore going to be unhappy about that. But the, you know, to me, I, I think if I was sat where Michael Gove is, you know, I don't, we wouldn't really care about any of that. What I want to know is what part can you play in delivering the things that we are, we're talking about as ambitions? And how can you demonstrate to your residents that 
you know, where it is both an ambition of government and of the local authority, that things are, are genuinely improving as a result of your involvement. Because, you know, certainly my experience in, in local government is that, you know, and, and there's lots of research around this that the likes of, of Mori do, you know, the things that really influence the reputation of a local authority are, are people aware that you exist at all? Which, you know, bizarrely enough, a lot of people wouldn't have a clue which local authority area they live in. And then secondly, are people aware that the things that really impact on everybody, like bin collections, like street cleaning, are those things done to a high standard? You know, the highest proportion of, of residents of a local authority that are touched by adult social care is in Birmingham, and it's less than one in five. That includes adults and children. So almost all of the money spent by local government makes no difference at all to the people who live in those areas. So I think making that, that clear link between, you know, we want to improve things like recycling services. We want to have, you know, a clear local agenda around what the offer is around making homes greener, about making transport infrastructure greener, about making it easier for people to live healthy lifestyles in a way that is genuinely visible to every resident. You know, I think that's what local government, when it focuses on that, can do exceptionally well. And I, I think that needs to be the priority in those discussions. It, it's not about saying it would all be better if only you abolished all of those councils and gave the power to us. It's about saying, you know, here is an example of how we do this well. And if we were more in control of it, then we could do more of that good stuff, which government, which residents want to see delivered. Right. We're getting towards the end now. So I'm going to come to each of you individually. And please give a short answer for this. But you've each got one plea to Michael Gove for, for one, one aspect where you think that it is feasible to drive change and he might be receptive to it. And you're, you're allowed 30 seconds each to make your, your case for it. Um, Claire, do you want to start, please? Yeah, sure. So uh, I think, so consistent powers, consistent budgets for local authorities and to include social infrastructure as a core part of the levelling up agenda, not just physical infrastructure. Jessica? Um, building on Claire's, understand the cost consequences of not doing this, understand the consequences um, of, to people's lives um, of not doing this, um, see community power as intrinsic to your levelling up agenda. And when it comes to local authorities and devolution, um, let form follow function. Don't talk about structures, talk about culture, talk about um, incentives, talk about um, what areas are best done locally and what areas are best retained nationally and use that to guide devolution based on principles, not based on backroom deals and structure reform. And David? I think two things. The first is follow the evidence, the reputation of local government. In Westminster is pretty dire. The performance of local government in reality is exceptionally good by any comparison. So recognise that. And secondly, don't forget what you've already asked local government to do. There's often a, a tendency to forget in respect of education, in respect of healthcare, that there's been huge amounts of reform which is there to be built on. And, and I think the recent moves around um, the health and social care bill, a good example, we've created this huge structure around public health and we're almost in danger of forgetting that we've done all that. We need to recognise how that can help us to achieve what we want rather than kind of almost forget that it's there. Brilliant. Well, that brings us to the end. So thank you to our panellists today. That's David Simmons, Jessica Studdett and Claire Hazelgrove. Um, it's, I've really enjoyed it. Great, great sessions. Thank you all very much. Um, the local authority will be back again soon. So we'll see you in our next episode. Thank you. LGC is the leading title for senior local government officers and the authoritative voice of the sector. 
To subscribe to LGC for full online and print access, go to lgcplus.com. FutureGov is a change agency on a mission to build 21st century public sector institutions which are catalysts for change in the internet and climate era to radically improve outcomes for communities. For more information, go to wearefuturegov.com. We'll be back next month with another episode of The Local Authority. Thanks for listening.